Hello, and welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast. Today, I have a short bonus episode with Amy Charity, the co-founder and owner of Steamboat Gravel, to be held in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, this August 15th. I was interested in learning more about the backstory to this already famous event that promises to be so much fun in the mountains of Colorado. Listen in as Amy, Glenn, and I talk about why she and her team put Steamboat Gravel together and how they are working hard to make the event super fun for the 3,000 riders and their families in the beautiful city and the surrounding area of Steamboat Springs. And if you are unable to get into Steamboat Gravel this year, listen in as Amy tells us how we can watch on-course live coverage of the final miles of the 142-mile black course women's and men's races, plus interviews and more. All right, let's talk to Amy. Today, Glenn and I are joined by Amy Charity, the co-founder and owner of Steamboat Gravel, the hugely popular gravel race in Steamboat, Colorado. Welcome, Amy. Thank you for having me. Oh, sure. I've been looking forward to this one. And Glenn, welcome to you too, sir. Welcome, both of you guys. Looking forward to this. Amy, can you tell us a little bit about Steamboat Gravel? Yes. Um, Steamboat Gravel is a, it's really more than a day of cycling on mostly dirt roads here in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. We have four distances everywhere from 37 miles to 144 miles. Whoa. The courses are loosely named after ski runs. So the black courses are longest and most challenging, followed by the blue of 100 miles. Red is the in-between at 67. And then the one to just kind of get started in gravel is our 37-mile green course. That's for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, awesome. Well, you must be doing something right. Even though Steamboat Gravel has had only one season, it was included in the list of the top 10 gravel races in the USA by Cycling News, along with Belgian Waffle Ride, Dirty Kanza, which is now known as Unbound Gravel, the Barry Roubaix, and other iconic names. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, yeah we're really proud to, to be on that list. Well, what do you think makes the Steamboat Gravel Ride so special? There were a few things that went into our, our, the overall plan that I think set us apart and um, helped us kind of go off with a bang with SBT Gravel. The first is we're, we're really lucky to live in, in Steamboat Springs, which is a, a resort town with the infrastructure, the hotels, the restaurants. It's fairly easy to get to, and it's a destination that people want to visit. We have that coupled with ranching community that's right next to us. So Route County, the county that Steamboat is in, literally has just under 700 miles of dirt roads. So you take that combination of a destination resort that already is a place people want to go and you couple it with that ranching community and it's the dream location for for a gravel event. So I think we had had that... um, to really help get us started. And then the other pieces were really how we set the race up. My partners and I thought through what is a, a dream event on a bike? What are the things that, that we really enjoy? What are the things that are stressful and can we remove those? So we made a really concerted effort to invest in the racers. And, and what that looked like from a practical perspective was signage on the course. So some of the the really adventure gravel races that you see, you're you're out for yourself and people have their bike computers or they have cue cards or <laughs> they're calling people to figure out where they are. And I found that to be very stressful as someone who's navigationally challenged. And so 
we put signs out where people know where to turn. They're not, they're not going to get lost on our course. That's cool. Another piece of that was support on the course. So great aid stations. There are other events where you see people with bike bags, bike packs, camelbacks, whatever it may be to carry all of their supplies for anywhere from a two to 10 hour day on a bike. And we thought, wouldn't it be nice if you ride and you have peanut butter and jelly sandwich or a Coke or whatever you may need out on the course. And so we heavily invested in the racer. And we think that that was another reason for the popularity of the event from the get go. So I think taking that that infrastructure and the location of Steamboat and then really having those great things that people look for to for an event so they can come here and bring their bikes and put their leg over their bike and pedal and um, we really take care of a lot of the, the other details for them. Well, that sounds great. Yeah, no wonder people love it so much. So tell us, Amy, a little bit about who are these people that are putting this event on and, and why did you and they decide to do this? Yeah, we we have a phenomenal team um, and it's really of diverse skill sets. And I would say the the things that we all have in common are a passion for Steamboat Springs, and a passion for cycling. And really the the driver behind starting SBT Gravel was back in 2018 is when the idea came about and Gravel was r- exploding. It it hadn't quite exploded, but it, you could you could hear the rumblings and uh I had just traveled to Emporia, Kansas and Beaver, Utah and I was looking at an event in Lincoln, Nebraska and I thought you know, we have these amazing gravel roads here. And at that time, there was not a large cycling event gravel related in Colorado. And we felt that this was really something that was missing. And so we thought, gosh, if we're traveling to all these different places, why not? Why not here? And that idea started with, should we do something very regional and let's appeal to the Colorado audience. And then we thought, or should we make this national and try to appeal to people across the United States? And then ultimately where we landed was, let's make this international. (laughs) Let's appeal to people from different countries across the world, including the US and Steamboat Springs, and we'll go from there. So that was really the the background of it um, was why not here? And this is kind of the right time to make this happen. And we we understood the urgency back in 2018 of this is the time to do it. So that was that's sort of the why. And and more in terms of our team, we have our race director. We're we're really lucky to have. He um, has he worked at USA Cycling for nine years and put on all of the national level events. He worked for Oat Root. Um, it's Micah Rice, and he oh. is kind of one of the, the best um, in the industry for logistics and directing races. So we're really fortunate that he's on our team and helping us make sure that we, we pull off an incredible event. The, the rest of the team is based here locally in Steamboat Springs, and we have uh, logistics manager, Eli. We have uh, community relations, uh, three women who are completely responsible for working with our nonprofits and downtown businesses and engagements and what will happen over race weekend. And then we have our finance and accounting. So we essentially have this phenomenal team of different skill sets that all love cycling, all love gravel, and all love Steamboat Springs. And it really is a, a dream team to pull off this this race. Wow. Well, you know, if you're going to put an event on with 
2,500 people, you better have a pretty good team. So it sounds like you've got one. <laughs> That's exactly right. Tell us more about you, Amy. I heard you were a professional bike racer. Is that right? <laughs> it is. Yeah. Well, I often answer that that formally, but I certainly, I was on um, a professional team. I raced for Optum. Um, that was in 2015. Prior to that, I was on a, a team called Vanderkitten. Um, and I also raced for the U.S. national team over in Europe for a couple of years. So that was my previous roadie life. And now I, um, I say with a little bit of hesitation that I'm a professional gravel racer because that's very, uh, very much a loose term. <laughs> and uh, I guess that means I, I aim to be on the pointy end of a race. But yeah. um, that happens. It does happen sometimes, but not always. Yeah. My next question would be Steamboat. Uh, I mean, did you grow up in Steamboat? I mean, how did you end up in Steamboat? Yeah, so I grew up in Fort Collins, so Colorado native, and always knew I needed to be somewhere with uh, mountains in sight uh, and and took a, a long path through high school, college, and um, you know, lived in different states and ultimately lived in England working for Capital One for four years. Um, after four years in Nottingham, England, I decided I needed to get back to Colorado and a little closer to home and closer to the mountains. And Steamboat was really the the place that offered the most. I felt with mountain towns, cool. it was it was a real community. Um, you know, a place that my friends are. We all have the, what I consider very normal existences, whether that's nurses or teachers or retail. Um, or you know anything along those lines, and and you're you're able to live in a mountain town, but still have what I would consider a, a fairly grounded um, existence. I've been to Steamboat one time and, uh, for skiing, and it was it was wonderful. And I've heard lots of good things about it, even from people who have visited in the summertime. So I'm not at all. I hope you'll come back in the summer because they, I mean, not everyone says you come for the skiing, yeah, stay for the summer. But Steamboat is. It's about to be at that point right now where it sparkles, it's so green. And then after that, the wild flowers come out and it's just, it's phenomenal in the summer. And hot springs and... The hot springs, the river runs right through downtown. So oh, tubing yeah. is a very popular activity um, in Steve. In addition to cycling is, um, you know, we're, we have the trademark Bike Town USA for a, a really good reason. We're phenomenal mountain biking great road riding and obviously out of this world gravel we call the greatest gravel roads on earth but it's a uh, it's not an exaggeration it really is um a great variety and a lot to choose from for gravel roads yeah well and i had signed up i had you know had my finger over the button when the clock ticked over to when it opened and i pressed enter and i got in for last year's event that did not go off and my family was really looking forward to going and we were going to, you know, make it a weekend. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. So we'll have to make more plans. Well, I hope, yeah. Yeah, I hope you can join one of these years. It's, um, it's worth coming out for, for yeah, sure. Yeah. And we, we ended up taking 3,000 racers. So 3,000, 3,000. Wow. So that's, that's where we are for numbers. It's, it's going to be a big event this year. Yeah. Very nice. So let's talk about gravel for just a second. I mean, gravel's taken off, uh, you mentioned, and even for myself, my plan, in fact, just pre-COVID was I was going to stop riding my bike on the road and I was going to do more gravel. And I got my old cross bike worked up and ready to run. And I signed up for Steamboat and some other 
of the gravel races. And so I was all on board with the gravel. But why do you think gravel has taken off? Yeah, I think there, there are quite a few reasons. But I would say the, the first answer is typically safety. And I think like the things that you hear again and again is how it's riding on the road is dangerous. And there's no doubt about that. And I know with a, a racing background of on pavement, in addition to cars, it is inherently very dangerous. And so I think gravel is a safer sport. And that is just, yeah. just strictly speaking to safety away from traffic. But I think it's much bigger okay. than that. I think it's the the adventure that gravel offers. So you're on a bike that opens up so many doors. And the, an example in Steamboat is I can get on a dirt road and ride up to Wyoming. And then I'm going to end up on a double track at some point, and maybe even single track at a point if I decide to go up and over a mountain that's up there. And cool. I couldn't do that on a road bike. And I think that the opportunities that it lends itself to are just, they're phenomenal. So this appeals to the commuter who used to worry about getting a flat tire when they rode to work. And this, and this appeals to somebody who just wants to go out and, and get lost and not worry about um, you know having what a mechanical or the comfort of a road bike versus a gravel bike. So I do yeah. think that that adventure side of things is is really what's pulling in this broad group, and it appeals to what I found that's fascinating is it's not just the roadies or the triathletes or the mountain bikers. It is all of those, and then it's also different disciplines. So we're we're finding here that people come into gravel from other sports. The barrier to entry seems lower. Yeah. There are fewer rules. Um, mountain biking, for example, it's if you if you've never mountain biked before, you most likely aren't going to hop on single track and and clear rock fields. That's that's intimidating, and yeah. there's a, a skill set involved. And then the road culture tends to have a lot of rules of what is acceptable. And I think gravel is still in that infancy stage that. There aren't rules. You can be in your baggies. You can be on a cross bike. You can even be on a mountain bike on a dirt road. You can be on a gravel bike. There's just a lot more that's very much accepted in the world of gravel. And I think that makes it feel very inclusive and it's appealing to a much broader audience. Awesome. Yeah, that's what I think too. That touched on my things. Glenn, what do you think? It's interesting because, you know, I come off a smooth road background. We were just chatting earlier about how back when I was in California and you find a stretch of road that has some gravel in it, they warning signs and everything else like danger and there'd be cones everywhere and be careful about that gravel section. And then I came to Colorado and I did Bull Drew Bay and I was like, oh my God, there's like miles of gravel on my road bike. It's going to get dirty. I mean, come on. I wasn't <laughs> used to it. So I'm, I'm still a trackie at heart, I guess, but you know, I like. Oh yeah. Road, no, but, track yeah. cyclists. Yeah. <laughs> you're even a little bit further away from the roadies. So yeah, there's that entire spectrum, but you're absolutely right. And then you realize that, oh, it's actually even fairly comfortable because of the technology, which I didn't even touch on, but the, the lower tire pressure, the, um, you know, that, that helps with comfort. So many bike brands are coming out with different kind of suspension or something to dampen the vibration of the road. So it's a much more comfortable ride. But yeah, to your point, I, re I remember that in doing yeah. North Star Road Race. In, <laughs> it was early on in the race and there was a gravel section racing. And I remember all of us were like, there were girls screaming. <laughs> I, just, I remember Corinne was like, keep pedaling. You can still pedal. And it was like, we were like, what is this? Like, do our bikes work on this kind of surface? 
yeah. I'm aging myself. That was a long time ago, but that used to be sort of the the mindset is like roadies don't go on dirt. You know, yeah. like it, we do it for a joke now when we're moving from, we're all on gravel bikes. We're doing a gravel ride and we're on pavement. And I always scream like gravel when we're about to get on the dirt road, just like, because that's what it used to be like. <laughs> well, interesting. I was thinking about this from when you mentioned the tires. And I remember I still have a, a tire in my, my uh, garage that's a 17 millimeter wide tire. It's like, <laughs> we used to race oh. on those things. I, it was, that's like a the razor The funniest thing is gravel. if you've been on a gravel bike, I just recently hopped on my road bike and I think I have maybe 23s or 25s on it. And I was like, are these safe? Like, these don't look right. Like, <laughs> that's my background. That's what I used to do for a living. <laughs> well, I, I go back to the days when we, you know, like a 23 was a training tire. It was big and bulky yes. and heavy. And now I race on 25s. I'm like, this is crazy. But oh, it's amazing. Yeah. The technology is really quite remarkable that the ride's much better, the handling's better, grip is better. And Disc brakes make a yeah. huge difference. Yeah. They, I yeah. mean, they've come a really long way. The, the wheelbase is longer, so you can, everything is a bit more stable. There are a lot mm-hmm. of um, changes they've made that just make it a, a smoother, more comfortable ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, awesome. So one of the things that has surprised me a little bit in this space is how some big companies are getting into it. That's something that I saw in road racing. Garmin bought the Dirty Kanza, now called Unbound, and, and some other big companies are getting into it as well. What do you think about that? And, and do you think that the, the more small grassroots events are better in any way? Yeah, no, I, I think there's, uh, gravel's in such an amazing place that there's, I think there's room for everyone. And so, one of the things that has not happened with gravel is it's it doesn't have a governing body. And from my perspective, that's probably one of the best things about it. I know from a, a roadie background that that is one of the challenges. And I think that's one of the things that ultimately drove or drives people away from, from road racing is the, the categories and how individualized it is. And so without a governing body, you really can define your own race. It's the race directors who are driving the path for what the future is. And so you will always have those small rock cobbler type races or the races in the Midwest that are the fun adventure, find your own way, can you survive? And those, there's a market for that. And I think there's a market for your Belgian waffle rides that have a lot of road in them, but then some gravel, um, and then there's a market for our style of racing, which is a uh, we look at investment in the racer type race. So from my perspective, I don't mm-hmm. I don't see those little races going away, and and I don't see this becoming a one governed body unanimous. <laughs> All races look the same. This looks like a category road race. I I am hopeful, and as a race director, I'm in a position that I will maintain. I I hope they're not ever under some governing body where they all have to look and feel alike. Um, because I know I have a style that I prefer and so do probably both of you. And so do the, the racers who choose different styles of events. And so that to me is why the little guys will survive and why the big ones that are owned by Lifetime or um, Belgian Waffle Ride are, are going to survive as well. So I, I think that that is one of the, the best parts of it. 
And then for brands getting involved um, and investing heavily in gravel racing, I, I think they're, they're really smart. Like the, this is the future of cycling is, is gravel events. It's, it, it appeals to such a mass audience. Um, there is, that's if you walk into bike shops and ask them, there are top selling bikes, they will either say e-bikes or gravel bikes across the United States. Those are their or two. Or e-gravel bikes. Yeah. Or, for example, <laughs> those, yep. Those are out there too. Um, and so it's, it's the future of cycling and cycling's a you know, multi-billion dollar, in, it's an enormous industry. So yeah. for them to come in and invest heavily in these gravel events, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I, think there's, I think there's room for all of us and the market's growing. So you know, I think that rather than the big guys saturating the little guys, like more people want to do these events and they can choose the type of events that they want to do. Yeah. Well, that's what I want to do. Yeah. 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 Changing gears a little bit here, talking about the local community that you're in. I can imagine that it's good for the local economy that 3,000 people are going to show up with their wallets and spend some money in town. But still, I'm curious to know what sort of feedback you get from the maybe the local government and residents and businesses. You, we've we've only had the event one year, but the overwhelmingly overwhelming feedback that we're getting is positive. And I think right. to the the very obvious point is that economic impact of of bringing it's three thousand racers, and on average they'll bring one and a half people with them. So we're Ooh. talking seven thousand plus people coming to Steamboat Springs. A hundred and fifty of those are Steamboat locals. Uh, about half of our total 3,000, so just under 1,500 are from the state of Colorado. And then the other 1,500 are from outside of Colorado and, that, and representing 14 different countries. So wow. the, the market that we're appealing to is very broad and that is tremendous for Steamboat to get that type of exposure to this, this audience from, from all across the country. And that's different from... Certainly other bike events or sporting events or really any events that happen here. Our ski mountain, of course, is used to that type of visitor, but no event is pulling in that type of visitor. So for that reason, it's, it's very much appealing. But I think more importantly, we, when I talk about investment in the racer, investment in the community is really our, our other major pillar that matters. And so what that looks like for us is donating to nonprofits. We work very closely with three specific nonprofits here. And it's, it's a year-long relationship. So we do make a financial donation to them, but we also work with them on different projects throughout the year. Um, so that's, that's something that's really important is us giving back to them. And then the other piece of it is just sourcing everything we can locally, whether that's the printing companies or the, um, the food vendors or steamboat locals, whatever we can work with locally, we do. And so that is to help boost our economy and the small businesses here. And, and that's what we think really helps the, the cycling community feel welcomed. Great. One other big piece of this is that we we understand that we are out on these ranching roads that used to be ultimately undisturbed, never visited, other than the, the ranching community that lived out there. And now there are lots of bikes out there. And so something that we're making a really big effort is how do you bridge that? We both love the same land. How do you, 
have the cyclists understand what these ranches are about and how can we help them and um, also have the ranchers understand what the cyclists are about and, and how do you marry that relationship. And, and so we, you know, we, we've been working on that project throughout the year and that's everything from putting together safety videos, what happens when you run into livestock or how are you a polite person on a road when there's no yellow line? Like, do you, you still stay on the right? So really trying to educate the cyclist but it's also trying to partner with that ranching community. We have a, we're fortunate enough to have a great relationship with somebody who lives up north in Steamboat and part of our race will go on his private property. And so we're going for a trail building day up on his property in June. And that's really about how do the agricultural relationships work with recreational relationships. And that's something that's been really important to us. And we see this as this is for long term. We, we think we'll be on those roads for a long time. We understand that it's really important that everyone, you know, understands each perspective of both of these different communities. Yeah, that sounds very wise. Uh, I mean, it is good for everybody as long as everybody can see that and get along with each other. Yeah, and it, and it often is understanding. And I think Cyclists need to understand, like, it's, it's not your road to ride on either side. The, granted, there's not much traffic. That doesn't mean that it's all yours. Like, you still follow rule, rules of the road, and there's still etiquette that, that needs sure. to happen. And I think that that is what we're trying to communicate is, okay, cyclists, let's make sure our house is in order here. And yeah. that we're really respectful. And you get kind of, it's also fascinating to find out, oh, this is, what is our agriculture here? Well, it's mostly hay, but we also have a lot of natural, these products that we can incorporate into our lives. So let's learn a little bit more about that. And can cycling be a vehicle to us really understanding? Great. So I want to ask you about, I mean, you've been doing it only for a few years now, but I'll bet you that there are some funny stories or, you know, amusing anecdotes that um, you could share with us about how it has come about and the learning that you've done and, you know, maybe some unexpected things that have happened that, you know, looking back, you can chuckle about. Gosh, I lean more towards the, like the surprising ones and to have this dream of putting on a, a gravel event and hoping that people might be interested. Um, I, you know, race weekend, I remember I was running around like a crazy woman and I, and I have a very much an open door policy of people staying at our house. And so I was like host housing for whoever wants to stay here. That's the background of a roadie in me. So um, it turns out Tiffany Cromwell stayed at my house and she's a, um, if you don't know her, she's a national, she's Australian. She's one of the strongest female cyclists in the world. She races for Canyon. She's been around for years. She's an iconic figure. So somehow it worked out that she was staying at my house, but I was literally never home because I was hanging banners and signs and running around like an event planner. And so almost never saw her. And I hadn't even met her yet. And I came into my house. Um, it was like the day before the race. And Ted King was sitting in my dining room table with Tiffany <laughs> doing a podcast. I just remember thinking like, this is like, 
what's going on? I'm like, wow, we have like, we have made it. Our tight, our race that hasn't happened yet. Like I, the, can I take a picture? Would that be weird? Like I just tried to play it cool. Like, Oh, you don't mind me. I'll just be over here. I just remember. Yeah. Like it was just amazing. And that like, that took off. Like Eric Zobel came to our race and I remember watching the, his documentary hell on wheels was like the favorite, like my, the most inspiring thing I'd ever seen. And I just, and then I got to hang out with him. And it was, it was just phenomenal to kind of have a little gravel event in our small town and have these people that I have idolized in the cycling world come here to do our event. And I would just say it was humbling and expi- inspiring. And I'll, these are moments I'll never forget. It was just sure. amazing to, to have that happen um, and to pull that off and, and create interest for these iconic figures. All right. Good job. Good answer. Okay. I got to ask this for all the poor souls out there. Any secrets to getting into your event? I understand <laughs> it sells out pretty fast. Yeah. So, well, I know this isn't the answer they want to hear, but if you volunteer in 2021, you are guaranteed entry in 2022. And volunteering is really fun. So that that's is that is a great answer. I mean, that's a great option. We We did... People for Bikes, who is a nonprofit uh, based out of Denver, but a national organization, they did, we gave them our last five spots and they did a fundraiser and they sold them each one for a thousand dollars for fundraising. And those all went within minutes. So that's. They're wishing you gave them more. <laughs> <laughs> they, they are that that was uh, that was sort of the the last straw. But I would say that volunteering in 2021 is a really good option, um, and and to get into 2022. Great. Well, so what would people do if they volunteered? How fun would it be? Volunteering. There are so many options, and it really depends on what appeals to you. But I would say the most fun would be. Working in our, we have an at a post race party where you could serve beer. Like I think yeah. that would be really fun. Sure, uh, twenty one and older, of course. And then yeah. we have things like our merchandise tent where you sell all of the cool SBT hoodies and swag. Yeah. We have aid stations which are great. So you and they're all over Route County. So you could hang out by Steamboat Lake with this phenomenal view and um, help encourage the racers coming in. Um, and then if you like the behind the scenes stuff, there are banners and tents and all sorts of stuff that we need to set up, um, swag bags that we put together, registration bags. So there, there are tons of options. And what, what you get for volunteering is lunch or breakfast, depending on the time of your shift. You get a t-shirt, you get a pair of socks. So you get a lot um, of different things in addition to that guaranteed entry for 2022. Well, that sounds like a good deal. And if people wanted to volunteer, is it like, do they go to your website? Is That's there... right. Yep. It's okay. sbtgrvl.com and they can right. find right in the top bar, the options for volunteering. Well, we'll put a link to that in the show notes and any other links or information you want to make easy for people to find through the podcast. Um, Great. Just send that to me and I'll put that in the show notes. Okay. I'm getting near the end of my list. I wanted to ask you about the two hour live broadcast I read about. Where are people going to be able to see that? Yeah, so we're we're really excited about this. So this is um, really the we're the first gravel event to come out with being able to do this. We're working closely with Mountain TV 
but they will broadcast it on their local Denver stations, anyone with the Roku app, and then outside TV will be broadcasting it. We'll also have it on our website and many of our sponsors will have it showing on theirs as well. So um, you can find that on our website, but you can also turn on your outside TV and it'll be showing there. So the idea of that show will be just really capturing the, the highlights of the end of both the men's and the women's race. And so we'll start with kind of showing everyone the lead up of how the day started. We'll catch them up with where people were at some of the key points of the race, some of the KOMs and QOMs. And then we'll finish up with uh, the last 10 to 20 miles of the event where we imagine that's where the excitement's going to happen and the attacks will really take place. These racers are racing for money for $11,000 price purse for the men, $11,000 for the women. So wow. it's a, a big payday. It's the biggest payday in gravel. And so uh, nice. I think that sparks will be flying and we're hoping to capture that all on TV. So you can sit at home if you're not able to come out and watch and, and see it all unfold. Yeah. Well, that sounds great. So let me say thank you, Amy, for taking some time to join Glenn and I on the Wise Athletes podcast. I, I wanted to make sure that if there was anything else you wanted to cover that uh, you can do so. No, I think you hit all the, the main points. Yeah, thank awesome. you. I appreciate being here. This was really great. Uh, I am sorry that I won't be doing it this year, but I will be back. Excellent. <laughs> awesome. All right, that Amy. Thanks very much. Okay, thank you. Okay, Thanks so bye much, bye. Amy. Okay. Really appreciate that. All right, bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in to my discussion about Steamboat Gravel with Amy Charity. It sounds like a super fun time no matter what your skill level. Be sure to check out the show notes for more details. And if you want to be sure to get in on the fun in 2022, be sure to check out the volunteering opportunities. If you head over to wiseathletes.com, you can send us a question to address on the website, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you are on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That would be a great help. Thanks again.